Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. For more information about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, visit us at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening his word. Good morning. All right, so today we're going to read from Romans 5, verses 14 through 21. It's page 886 in the Bible, and the, the seat in front of you, it looks like this. If you don't have one, take this one. We'd love for you to have it. So my name is Jeff Burrows. Um, my family and I have been attending the door Argyle since um, February 2020, back uh, before the pandemic, and uh, just so thankful that, that that's behind us and, and we're doing this here. Uh, my wife, Corey, and Ryan, you might recognize them um, from the kids' ministry. And uh, my son, Ian, and I used to, to serve in uh, the AV deck. So, again, we are in Romans 5, verses 14 through 21. That's page 886. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's Word. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Good morning. My name is Brad. I'm the campus pastor here, and um, I'm just glad you're here. And thank you for coming to the 1030. It allows our kids volunteers to volunteer and go to church, and so that's why we have two gatherings. It it serves them and allows our volunteers to be be fed. So uh, as we get going, would you pray with me? Lord, would you open our eyes Um, and open our hearts that we may behold wonderful things out of your word. Uh, We'd be be receptive to your spirit. Um, We'd be hungry and eager to hear from you. Um, Would you drench us in grace this morning? In Christ's name, amen. Uh, We've been in our sermon series in the book of Romans for the last little while, and uh, the book of Romans is not really a book at all. It's, it's a letter 
um, written by a guy named Paul. He's an apostle. To be an apostle is to be set apart for the work of God. And so Paul writes this letter to the Christians in first century Rome. So Rome is a gigantic empire, like the most powerful empire the world has seen. And there's this little pocket of Christians just shortly after Jesus has, he has lived, he has been crucified, he has risen. And so there's this little small pocket of persecuted Christians that Paul is writing to. And he's writing to them to explain this is how you you can be made right with God. This is how you are justified. That's what that word is. To be justified is to be made right with God. This is how this works. And so this is what the book of Romans is about. It's about the beauty of being made right with a holy and righteous God when you are neither holy nor righteous. How does that happen? What happens through Christ? And this text, if you were paying attention to what Jeff was was reading, um, on first glance, there's just a lot going on. It's like what there's that one man, and there's there's just a lot going on, and and and, and we'll get into that. But what I want you to hear this morning is that abundant life is available for you in Christ. Abundant life. Now, you may have heard there's, there's churches called Abundant Life, and I know nothing about them, and so I'm neither endorsing them nor talking bad about them. It's a great name for a church. It really is. And, and I think, you know, when I first hear Abundant Life, if you were to, to say this to me, I would think, hold on a second. What do you mean by that? You should always ask that question. What do you mean by that? And many of us, by abundant life, we mean health and wealth and, and, and financial prosperity. Like we want to crush it. And we want God to help us crush it. So God, help me crush it in life. Help me slay my Goliaths. Well, that's not what the Bible is about. That's not the gospel. But God does mean for you to have abundant life through Christ. But it's not that you get abundant life life from Christ, like Jesus giving my stuff, thanks, nor even through Christ. Like Jesus, you can come with me and together we're going to march off into the sunset. But the abundant life is in Christ. He is the abundance. He is what we are seeking. I didn't make this up. So in John 10, this will be on the screen. By the way, this is where we got our name from, the Door Church. It's not just a catchy couple of words that would look good on a logo. Let's call it the Door Church. So if, if you know uh, Pastor Scott, he's our, our lead pastor. He, in a dream, the Lord just put John 10 on his heart over and over and over again. This is where Jesus says, I'm the door. Jesus is the only way. I'm the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will be justified. She will be justified before God and go in and out and find pasture. If you picture sheep being shepherded, going in and out, not just becoming a part of a fold, but becoming shepherded and flourishing. There's green grass. There's provision for them. There's safety. There's all, this is all just flourishing. So he says that, that you will go in and out and find pasture if you go through the door of Christ. 
And then he says this. He says, the thief comes, Satan comes, to steal and kill and destroy. Satan does not want you to have abundant life in Christ, although he would be pleased for you to have abundant life by your own terms. To have whatever you call abundant life outside of Jesus Sure, you can have that. Don't have Christ. So the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I have come that they would flourish. Our text even says that they would reign in life. Okay. So there's this concept in verse 14, actually throughout, of of what's called federal headship. Now stay with me. It's a theological reality. It's very important. So verse 14 talks about Adam, and then it talks about a type of the one to come. That Adam is a type of the one who would come. That there are two federal heads. Team Adam, which is of the trespass. So when you see the trespass, Team Adam or Team Jesus, the free gift of grace federal headship. It's someone who stands for you. They stand in for you. They represent you. So the president of the United States, President Biden, he stands for you. He represents you. Some of you are like, he's not my president. Like, well, he is your president. He's the president of the United States. And so he stands for you. He represents you. Or if you think about if you're a Cowboys fan and you watch Dak throw another pick, He tied for the most last season. He throws another pick. It feels like you threw a pick if you're a Cowboys fan. You're like, ah, why did I do that? Like, you didn't do that. He's the one getting paid 40 mil or whatever it is to do that. But it feels like you've thrown the pick. He stands for you, for your team. But those metaphors break down. We don't have perfect metaphors for federal headship because it's a spiritual reality. So it's deeper than politics deeper than wins and losses. John Stott once said this in his book, Men Made New. He said, so then, whether we're condemned or justified, whether we are spiritually alive or dead, depends on which humanity we belong to. Whether we still belong to the old humanity initiated by Adam or the new humanity initiated by by Christ. Our federal head, who represents us, who stands for us, is life and death. Condemnation or justification. Being made sinners, being made righteous. And this is very offensive to you as a Western individualist. I know it is. Because in our Americanism, we're like, no one stands for me. I stand on my own two feet. I don't want a representative. I want to represent myself and stand on my own merits. Well, the problem is, the Bible says, you are either represented by Adam or you are either represented by Christ. And if you choose neither, you choose Adam. And so you have a federal head, whether you like it or not, whether that is deeply offensive to you, repugnant to you, it is a spiritual reality. And there's a vast difference 
that Paul lays out in our text between team Adam of the trespass, team Jesus of the free gift of grace. So there's three things I want to look at. One is there's a different motive. There's a different heart. There's a different engine behind Christ and Adam. So what did Jesus do? Verse 15, just stay in the text with me. Just keep your Bibles open or phones or whatever. Verse 15 says, the free gift of grace by that one man, Jesus Christ. I love that, by that one man, that that dude, Jesus, that one man, the free gift of grace. So what did Jesus do? Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, becoming obedient, obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross, that sinners, people of the trespass, people of the headship of Adam would be made righteous, would be made justified, would come into the fold of God. And so Jesus says, I will give my life for you. I will sacrifice that you may be blessed, that you may have the abundance of knowing the love of God. So it's self-sacrifice. That's the heart. Team Adam of the trespass, our natural state, default mode of the human heart, it's self-aggrandizement. It's self-exaltation. This is why you're manipulative in your relationships. And don't nudge someone else. I'm talking about you. It's why you're kind to people to get what you want. It's why you're passive-aggressive to exert your will. Or maybe aggressive-aggressive. Because you want to, to... impose your will, you want to exert your influence upon someone else. You want them to pay for you as opposed to you pay for them. Self-sacrifice is the motive of Christ, the heart of Christ. Adam is about self-aggrandizement, self-exaltation. So the motive is different. The results are vastly different. Look at our text, verse 16. The free gift of grace is not like that one man's sin. Not talking about Jesus, talking about Adam. So in Jesus, we have justification. He purchases our right standing with God. And not only that, the righteousness of Christ, which is the perfection, the moral perfection in every way, is imputed to us, given to us. So you get what Christ deserves in Christ. His perfection is draped upon you. In Adam, you get what you deserve. You get condemnation. You get guilt. Verse 17, it says that that if you are a part of the free gift, if you've received the abundance of grace, you reign in life. So you get life, you are of life. You have eternal life, but you also have life now. And and if you're in team Adam, death reigns through Adam. You smell like death if Adam is your federal head. 
verses 18 and 19, our standing with God is so different because in Christ we're made righteous and he drapes that over us like a covering. We had baptism last gathering and when when they came out of the water, they identify with Christ in their death going under the water, dead to their old self and they come out alive to Christ. When they come out, we put a robe around them to dry them off, covering them imperfect metaphor, but Christ's righteousness is like that. He robes us in his holiness and his goodness. But in Adam, it says, we're made sinners. We simply inherit what we are perpetuating. So it's not like we look back at Adam and go, and Eve and go, thanks a lot. Thanks for that dysfunction. We participate in it. So the motive's different, the results are different, the power is different. Satan in the garden, and we'll, we'll read this in just a minute, but, but he promises power. Promises power to Adam and Eve. Says you'll be like God. You can reign on your own. What did they get? They got the pain of powerlessness. They got futility. That's what the writer of of Ecclesiastes says. And so the power of the grace of God, the abundance of grace is so far superior than that of the trespass. Overwhelmingly so. In verse 15, it says, much more has grace abounded. So the trespass comes in, much more has grace abounded. Verse 20, sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Verse 21, the reign of grace is superior. There is reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. And so the great news of federal headship is that Jesus can stand for you in your place. That you're not even heard. You don't testify and then Jesus kind of makes it right. Like he testifies, he stands in, his verdict, not yours. That's federal headship. I know it's offensive to you in your Western individualism. But the law comes in. So verse 20, we've got this concept of federal headship, and then there's this mention of the law comes in to increase the trespass. What in the world does that mean? Well, the standard reveals the deviation. So if, if you go out on 35 out here and there's no speed limit, they, they revoke the speed limit, you go 110, there's no infraction. There's no trespass. You haven't broken anything. But if, if the speed limit is 75, which I think it is, and you go 110, you've broken the law. So there's, there's a clear demarcation between trespass and blamelessness. So the, the, the law comes in to show that standard. And if you have been in, in men's or women's Bible study, by the way, if you haven't been, you should be. Um, tomorrow night, our women meet at 7.30 here. And then Thursday morning at 6, our men meet here. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's been convicting me, and I know a lot of other brothers, because what Jesus does is he says, you, you've heard it said, but I say. So he says, you've heard that, that it was said you, you should not commit adultery. So you, you should not cheat on your husband. You should not cheat on your wife, 100%. So 
Jesus says, but I say to you, new standard, higher bar, if you've looked at someone with lustful intent, you have committed adultery with them in your heart. He says that that you shouldn't, the, the law says you shouldn't kill people. Don't kill people. That's pretty clear. Jesus says if you've been angry with someone to the point of of cursing them, you've murdered them in your heart. The bar is raised. He says don't just not hurt your enemies. Don't just even forgive them. Love them. Give your stuff to them. Serve them. Jesus keeps raising the bar in the Sermon on the Mount. If you pay attention, you should be feeling very small when he does that. And so there's the, the, the standard reveals the infraction, but also there's the thrill of disobedience. So the law comes to increase the trespass. There's another angle to this. If you've got kids, have you ever said, don't do that? And they look at you and they go, why? Because we love the thrill of disobedience. The wickedness in us, we love to break the standard. We love to go too far. It's in us. And so as the law comes in and God's moral commands, not just the Mosaic law, but all of the scriptures where God says, live like this to flourish. God doesn't give the law to say, live like this or I'll smite you. He gives you the law because this is the way to human flourishing. But, but when God reveals his law to us in our sinful nature, in our team Adam nature, in our trespass inclination, we go, okay. And so we want to exert our reign. We want to have the power that God has. We, we don't want God. We want his stuff. We want his reign. We want to do it the way we want to do it. This is the age-old lie. So this is what Satan says to Adam and Eve in the garden. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty, Satan is not an idiot, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, that's Eve, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said "You, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This is false rain, it's a lie. The abundant life is not usurping God's power and taking it for yourself that you might be God, but coming under his headship, under the headship of Christ. So what does the law have to do with federal headship? Why is Paul connecting these ideas? Well, 
I would just ask you, does, does the word of God ever cross you? Does the word of God, maybe you're not reading the Bible at all and so you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. If you read the scriptures, do they cut you ever? Or do you read them as kind of hero stories or do you read them as like you nod your head because the bad guys and the good guys and I'm on the good guys. Like, do you ever read the word of God and it just absolutely just slays you? Well, it should. It absolutely should. The law of God is meant to lead us to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the pardon of the advocate. And so you should, when you read the word of God, you should be crushed by it. That's not the end of the story. But you should be crushed by it. So the other day, my Bible reading plan, I'm just going on about my business. And by the way, this happens to me daily. I'm not trying to say like that one time that I got convicted when I read the Bible. Like when you read the Bible, you should be shocked constantly like, oh no. This is the wedding verse. Love is patient and kind. I am not patient. I am impatient with my dear ones, with my babies, with my kids. Get out of the bath. Or with my wife, short with her. I'm impatient with you sometimes, whether you know it or not. When I am kind, often it's marbled with me just wanting to get what I want. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. I am, I am. It doesn't insist on its own way. I want my way. It's not irritable. I, it's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. I do, it rejoices with the truth. Absolutely, if it benefits me. Love bears all things, believes all things. Help my unbelief. Hopes all things, endures all things. As I read that, as I read that, it slays me. It's not a pretty verse to read at a wedding so that you just say, well, this is love and we should do that. It's like, that's the standard. So it should slay you. But that is not the end of the story. Who is this describing? Not the perfect person like if you were better. It's the perfect man. It's the Christ because he is patient and he is kind. He does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He says, Father, your will be done. He's not irritable or resentful. He's not mad at you. It is not, Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but he rejoices with the truth and he himself is the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things, including the cross, that those on team trespass would be made righteous, would receive the abundance of grace. 
And so the law, when you read God's moral commands, it should be like a pressure cooker. This puts pressure. The gospel is that release. As you see, Jesus is the one who fulfills. Jesus is the law fulfiller and the one who provides atonement for all of your transgressions. And so this conviction leads to worship because he is everything that I'm not. And he offers me his righteousness through faith. Me having done nothing and him having done everything. And so no matter the trespass, I don't know what you've done. You know. What you're currently doing, you know. God knows. No matter what you have done, no matter what you are doing, the grace of God, the free gift of the abundance of grace is bigger, more powerful, swallows up, washes clean all of that trespass in Christ. Have you ever swept a hallway? Some of y'all need to get a broom. Do this. It doesn't work all the way. So you sweep and you get most of it. And then there's a corner and it just doesn't quite, so you put the rest in the dustpan and you get a Dyson or you quit or whatever, but you can't sweep everything because there's little dust particles that just hide. The free gift of grace is not like a broom. It's not like you are much better off than you were. You're a lot cleaner than you once were. I got the debris away. There's no dirt that remains. It is not like a broom. It is like a light switch. You walk into a room that is filled with lights from every angle of extreme power and you flip on a light switch, there is no darkness that remains. You don't walk into a bright room and go, man, there's still a lot of darkness in here. It's like fully bright. Jesus is the light of the world. And so in John 1, he says this, that the the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Trespass is dark. Your sin is dark. The grace of God, the free gift of the abundance of grace that Christ purchased on the cross is way brighter than your darkness. Not a broom, but a light switch. And so in verse 17, it says that those that receive this abundance of grace reign in life. Did you ever know the Bible tells you you can reign in life? You can be the one who does have power because of the power of God working in and through you. And so when grace reigns in you, you reign in life. When you take on the abundance of grace, you begin to reign in life. You begin to have a life of abundance. When Jesus is no longer your therapist, your imaginary friend, your political icon that helps you associate with people that vote like you, whatever he may be. 
When Jesus becomes your king, you become a different person. That's what we celebrated this morning. I wish you could have been there. If anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 will be on the screen. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. Spiritually regenerated, reborn. That's why we say born again Christians. It's not someone who turned their life around. It's someone who's different. They're born again. And therefore, they're made new and their motives are different. You see, all of our attempts to exert our will over this world, all of our false reign, it's because we're starving. We're aching for fulfillment that maybe money will fill or maybe sex will fill or maybe my, my kids being awesome will fill. Whatever it may be, we're seeking to fill that starvation. When it becomes real to you that Jesus emptied himself and was totally empty, that you would be made full, you begin to experience fullness. When the Spirit of God makes this real, you begin to, to live no, no, no longer on a starvation diet, but a life of abundance. And you go from self-aggrandizement, look at me, look at me, look at me. Say, look at Christ. Look at my advocate. Look at the one who made me new. Look at the one who gave me the free gift of grace that I did not earn and robes me in righteousness. Look at him. Motive is different. Results are different. You see, if you're in Christ, the best is yet to come for you. No matter your suffering, no matter your pain, no matter your struggle, the best is yet to come for you. You can be a person of hope, and living by hope is to be a person who is living abundant life. And that whole health, wealth, prosperity thing, it's actually true. It's coming for you. You will have a resurrected body. No longer will your joints ache. No longer will you have cancer. No longer will you get sick. No longer will you have allergies. No longer will you get old. You will have a resurrected body. Wealth, the wealth of this world is an absolute joke compared to the treasury of heaven. Not worth comparing. Jesus says, those who are in him, I've got a room prepared for you in my Father's house. You can't even imagine what it's like in the new heavens and new earth. Health, wealth, and happiness, that's the promise. The joy of knowing Christ far surpasses anything that any of the trinkets that you're aiming at could ever get you. And power, Paul's writing this to, to people in Rome, this gigantic empire. You know what Rome is now? It's a museum. The most powerful empire the world had ever known, several hundred years after this letter, downfall. The kingdoms of this world, the presidents, the kings, the countries, they will all crumble. Christ will never crumble. 
His rule and reign will never decrease. He will never be overthrown. He's coming back. So sometimes we look at Jesus like look at what he's done and we should and we should and we should. He's coming back. The king who is risen, who sits at the right hand of the father is coming back and this is what it's going to look like. Revelation 19. Compare this to your rinky-dink Kirkland brand power of this world. I do love Costco. No offense, Costco. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is King Jesus. He can be your advocate, your federal head, the one who stands for you and will never be toppled. So Christ reigns. Does he reign in you? John 7, verse 38. Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about that not only does God come into the world to suffer that the trespassers would be given the free gift of the abundance of grace, but God comes into them. The Spirit of God moves into you, brother, sister in Christ, to make this real, to make you spiritually alive, that you would have an abundant life, whether you are suffering, limping, victorious, whatever it may be. That you would have streams of living water flowing out of you. You see, the abundance of grace is the abundant life. And so those of you that are here and Adam is your federal head because you're like, I don't know about all this or I don't have a federal head, no one represents me. It's like, well, you do, you do. The law proves that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That the mirror of the law does not show you beautiful things. You need an advocate. Jesus stands ready to be your advocate, to stand in for you, that you would receive justification and not condemnation and that you would have actual life, not only eternal, but here. Those of you, Jesus is your advocate. Jesus is your federal head. 
but you're, you're, you're living your life in such a way that, that, that you're, you're just seeking the abundance outside of him. You're seeking something else to fill the void that only Jesus fills. And therefore, you want to know the symptom? You're dry. You're cracked inside. You're thirsty. There's streams of abundant grace for you. Be refreshed by the living waters, the abundance of grace. You don't graduate from grace. You don't get justified and move on to find abundance. You grow deeper and deeper and deeper into the waters. Would you bow your head with me, please? I'm going to read a prayer. This is a prayer that the same guy who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, he prayed for the Ephesian church. He prays for spiritual strength for them, and I just want to just pray this over us now. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.